Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. I was in college. Uh, I worked at the small church called Diamond Grove Christian Church. I'd say you can look it up, um, but I'm not really sure that they even like have a website. Like it was a small country church on the outskirts of Joplin, Missouri. And I served there for almost all four years of my college experience. And I got to tell you, like I worked with elementary all the way through high school. Most of the time, like the groups I was teaching weren't any larger than like my connect group. Um, But it was great. Like I loved that church and I loved the experiences that, that I got to be a part of there. I learned a lot from that little church. One of the most challenging things that I was asked to to be a part of um, was singing. Okay, Easter, Christmas, we always had some kind of like Easter cantata. Don't know what a cantata is. Sounds like something you order from Taco Bell, but it's not. It's like a group of people singing together. Um, And so I I was asked to be a part of that, and, and that was at least twice a year, sometimes more than that. And If you've ever had the privilege of standing close enough to me while we've been worshiping in here, you know, like, that's not my gift. It's just, it's just not, like, and I am, I am perfectly, like, secure to, to say that, but it was through these different worship experiences, because it was an experience, now, it was through these different times that, that, that I realized something. Worship is, is more than just about music, Right? So today we we start a brand new series called I Love My Church. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about these different foundational like truths, these big topics um, that are important for for us to be a part of and be the kind of church that people wanna be a part of. For us to be the church that can say, man, I love my church and I want you to love my church also. Come and be a part of it. And today we're gonna talk about this idea of worship. To be honest, when we were planning out like a schedule for who's preaching what topics and all that, and I knew that that worship was going to be my topic, I was like not really looking forward to it because singing is just not my thing. Music just is not where I'm gifted, but, but I've enjoyed studying for this because I've learned that, that there's a little bit more to it than just singing, right? There's a little more to worship than, than, than just being here and being a part of a service and let me, let me just start off by saying, like, I love our band, all of y'all who help lead. Like, y'all do an incredible job. I'm so thankful for y'all. But I got to believe that because we're all different and because we all have different gifts and abilities, worship has got to be more than just one of those gifts, right? So what is worship? I'm going to give it to you right off the bat, okay? I believe that worship is an outward expression of what God is doing in our hearts, right? And as we walk through this day, I'm gonna challenge you with three simple questions. Not really simple, but what do you worship? Based on your life, what would others say you worship? And what would change in your life if you fully worshiped Jesus with with every part of you? As we think through these questions, I want us to look at a story from John chapter four, where like last week, Jesus is gonna be asked a question. So this time it's about worship. So let's jump in from the top. You got John chapter four, and Jesus is telling this story. Jesus has this encounter 
um, with this, this woman from Samaria. Fun fact, Jews and Samaritans, like historically, they did not get along. So verse four says, and he had to pass through Samaria. That kind of makes your ears perk up a little. Like Jesus, a Jew, had to pass through Samaria, the, the place that like Jews would go out of their way to avoid. But Jesus intentionally went there. I gotta believe Jesus knew who he was gonna meet there, and that's why he went there. He went to this little town in Samaria called Sychar. That's where Jacob's well would be, and so after traveling for a while, he, he went and he, he stopped at the well, knowing that he was gonna run into the Samaritan woman. You might know her as the woman at the well. The disciples were with him, they, they left, they went to get some food. So it's just Jesus and this woman here at the well. And Jesus says, hey, can you give me something to drink? And this kind of struck the woman. She responds saying, hey, uh, how are you a Jew asking me, a, a Samaritan woman at that, for, for a drink? And it even says in your Bibles, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus responds to her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, hey, give me a drink, you would have asked him, would you have given, or can you give me a drink of living water? And she kind of snaps back, sir, like you don't even have a bucket. You don't have anything to even draw water of. So, so where do you plan on getting this living water that you speak of? It's almost like she didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. It's almost like he, 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 he didn't know like what he was talking about. Like she had this, this mindset of like, man, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what you're, you're talking about. I, I gotta believe that, that she thought, hey, he's not prepared to like even come and get water. And really what we'll learn is, man, I don't think she was prepared to encounter Jesus, the Messiah, the, the risen savior. Have you ever come to Jesus with that same kind of mindset? Hey, hey, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. Like, like those stories are really cool, but man, you don't know me. You don't know my past. You don't know the, the stuff that I'm dealing with. You don't know what's going on in my life. You know, it's one thing for us to come to church and, and be here and know that we're gonna hear about Jesus. Like I can tell you, every week that you show up here, you're gonna hear about Jesus. It's another thing to come to church with your hearts ready to, to encounter Jesus. Going, hey, hey, Jesus, what do you have for me today? Look what Jesus says to her. He, he says, everyone who drinks of this water, this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. You see, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And after her response, she, she, or her response was, all right, like, I'll try it. G give me some of that water that you have to offer. Almost like, you know, I'll, I'll play along with you, guy. Like, let, let's see it. I can still kind of feel her, like, apprehensiveness, right? Like, like she knows something is different about this guy, she, she, but she's not willing to, like, fully commit, fully trust him in what he's got to offer. Jesus is offering something that she's never experienced. So how does she know that she can trust him? Well, then Jesus goes on to tell her a little bit about her life, right? He kind of plays coy here. Hey, hey, you know, why don't you bring your husband? And she goes, sir, uh, 
I don't have a husband. And he goes, you're right. I actually know that about you. You've had five husbands, and, and now you're living with the guy. I guess he's your boyfriend. And, and you got to think back to that question. Who would you say, or who, who was she worshiping? Who, who do you think others said that she worshiped at that point? Do you think she had any clue what her life might look like if she actually gave it over to Jesus? She actually lived a life that, that honored him. Right, we hear here that, that she's got an embarrassing past. She, she has five failed marriages. She's kind of given up on marriage, living with this guy, number six. And you think you've got a past. You think you've messed up. You've made too many mistakes. Not like her. Jesus tells her what, what he knows about her, and her response is, well, I perceive that you're a prophet. I don't know if she's being sarcastic, like, hey, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious. I don't know if, if, if she's just like, hey, thanks for pointing that out again. But she goes, yeah, yeah, seems like, seems like you're a prophet. And, you know, since you're so smart, I've got a question for you that, that's kind of been up for debate here. Maybe this was the, like, I'm going to change the subject since you're bringing up my past, and let's talk about this instead. She's like, so, so where's the proper place to worship? Where, where are we supposed to worship? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. That, that was the, the Samaritan's uh, holy place, sacred mountain. But you say in Jerusalem, that's where the, the temple was. That's the, you say Jerusalem is the place that we ought to worship. And Jesus responds to her, standing in the shadow of Mount Gerizim, right there in Sychar, in, the, in, in Samaria. Jesus said, well, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You see, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is, for, is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, her question was, was focused on where, and Jesus' response was, well, this is how. So often we're like the Samaritan woman thinking, worship only happens at this certain place. Man, when I'm at church, I can worship. When I'm at camp, then, then I can really worship. Like, I'm going to give it my all. But worship is so much more than that. I believe that when we put limitations on our worship, we put limitations on our relationship with God. When we think worship can only happen when, when we play the songs that I like, when, when, it's, when it's my friend up there singing, when, when, when I recognize the, the people, the, the music, when, when worship is about us, I, mean, I feel like we, we miss what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus answers, well, here's the, the real answer. It's not about here or about there because the time is coming that, that we're all gonna worship together and what that looks like is worshiping in spirit and in truth. He actually says it twice just to drive it home. You know what that means? That means that, that worship, real worship, is what's going on in your heart. Like singing is definitely a way that we worship and I, I enjoy it even though I'm not good at it. But worship is so much more than just singing. 
But worship is, is, is living out in spirit and in truth what God is doing in your life. You see, in the Gospel of John, um, he talks about spirit and truth when, when he talks about the Trinity, right? The Trinity being the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus identified as the embodiment of truth. You have the, the Holy Spirit described as the spirit of truth. And so our worship honors the Father. It's experienced through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And it's led by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Like, like worship is this full picture of God's work in our life. But we can't just limit God to, to worship from, from one way, right? Worship has got to be a, a fullness of who we are. You know, it said that we're made up of, of three different parts, right? We have the body, we have our soul, we have our spirit. The body is this like external shell, right, that everything kind of happens inside of. The, the soul is um, our emotions, our thoughts, our passions. We kind of talked about this last week. Um, the spirit it, it is all of that together. It says that the soul is driven by, by the spirit. It's through our spirit that we can truly connect with God, right? That's the Holy Spirit. And so true worship is this spiritual uh, mindset or this spiritual being? That's not the right term. It, it's, it's a spiritual, like, living out physically what's going on in your spirit. Let's say it that way. So what's happening in your spirit is lived out in your life, in your actions. You see, if we only live out worship with, with our physical bodies, like, that's easy, right? I can stand. I can sing. I can raise my hands. I can kneel. But if that doesn't penetrate inside of us, is that real worship? Or on the flip side, you have people that, that worship more like emotionally. Man, I can sing, I can pray I, internally, like I can feel it, but it's not always lived out with, with your body. You have people that are really smart and they worship God with, with the way that they study, right? You can worship God in different ways, but, but fully worshiping God is all of that together, body, soul, and spirit. It's this, this spiritual act of living out what God is doing inside of you. See, our words and our songs are only meaningful when our lives are sacrificial, when they back up what we're saying. Worship is living the life that brings God glory. If you want, turn over to, to Romans chapter 12, or you probably know this verse already, starting in verse one, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, right? Paul gives us this charge, live a sacrificial life that is holy, that is acceptable to God, because that is your worship. You know, when I was at Diamond Grove, worship wasn't the songs that I sang, like it was probably the opposite of that. No, worship was the willingness to get up on stage and say, God, man, however you want to use me. If that's through singing, if that's through preaching, if that's through something else, I am here to, to be your vessel. I want to worship you in whatever that looks like. So let's jump back to John 4. You have the Samaritan woman, right? This woman that has had five husbands, that's living with the sixth guy. Who or, or what would you say she's worshiping? I'm not sure, but my guess is not Jesus, uh, who would others say that, that she's worshiping? 
Maybe it's the, the God of marriage. Maybe it's this, this idea of just feeling loved. Maybe it, it was more important for her to, to be married than it was to like be in the right marriage. Maybe for her, it, it was just this idea of, man, I need a sense of belonging that I don't feel like I can have from anything else. So, so I'm gonna look to all of these other people and see if I can get that. But what would change in her life if she really lived a life worshiping Jesus? We're about to find out. You see, you remember this woman, right? She was the one that, that went back to the same water source every day at a different time than all the rest of the ladies because her life was full of shame. But this day, everything would change. Because she encountered Jesus, now she's got access to the living water. Verse 28 says that, that she left her water jar and she went away into town and told the people, hey, I've met the Christ. I've met the Messiah. He told me everything I did. It's kind of crazy, right? Anybody want to just go around and be like, hey, everybody, Jesus knows all of my sins. Jesus knows everything I did. We usually try to like hide those things, right? For her, when she encountered Jesus, what, what was used to be her source of shame is now the reason that she's going and telling people about him. What, what, what was once what labeled her as, man, you don't want nothing to deal with her. Now she's going to tell people, hey, hey, let me tell you about the Messiah. I've met him. You know how I know he is who he says he is? Because he knows everything about me. And that gives me hope. That tells me that no matter what you've done, that no matter how bad our past might be, man, God's not done with us. Satan might try to tell us that, that, hey, you've gone too far. You're not worthy of Jesus' sacrifice anymore. And when your sin is, is, is public, then you have people all, all in this small town going and telling you, hey, you're not worthy anymore. Instead, we all get to worship God now because of what he's done, because, because Jesus says, hey, no matter how bad you are, I've got something better for you. And I've got the living water. You can return to that well over and over again that doesn't satisfy, but I've got something so much greater for you. And that's why he's the one worthy of our worship. So let's not make this about her anymore, okay? Let's look at these three questions, but do a little self-evaluation. What do you worship? It's easy to just answer Jesus, right? Like, hey, I worship Jesus, good. But is that what you find yourself focusing on the most? Is that the well that you keep going back to? Is that what you, you find yourself spending the most time, the, your, your, what you can invest? Like, like you'll know based on, on what matters the most to you. Is that what, what you obsess over? We each have time, talents, treasures that we can invest in something. So, so what you worship will be evidenced by, by what you are investing those in. What are you spending the most resources on? What are you spending your time focusing on? As a teenager, I know that it's easy to, to find, find ourselves worshiping something that we might have never intended to be worshiping. Sometimes we end up obsessing over one thing in life that, that it can become unhealthy. And there are some things that aren't even bad but when we put them in the place that they were never supposed to, when we raise them to a level that they don't belong, well, then that becomes what we worship. 
I told y'all last week that, that, that I played football from as young as I could to as old as I could without going to college because, you know, I wasn't good enough for college football, but that's fine. But I love football. I told y'all that. But football was never like my purpose in life. Football for me was a means to, to be competitive, to kind of get that competitive spirit out of me, and to meet people. And, and as I got older, it was an opportunity for me to, to try to bring some glory to God because that's all I knew at that point. What about relationships? You ever worship the, the guy or the girl that you're dating or you wish you were dating? That sounds weird, right? Like nobody's like, oh yeah, I worship my boyfriend. I worship my girlfriend. Like nobody would ever say that. But is that who you're spending every day and every night thinking about? Is that who, who you're hoping, man, I hope they're thinking about me as much as I'm thinking about them? Is that the, the person that, that's the last person you talk to and the first person you talk to? Man, a relationship in itself isn't bad until that relationship takes priority over your relationship with Jesus. What about like clout, popularity? I doubt there's anybody going, man, I worship popularity. But you can't tell me that, that you wish you were a little more popular than you are right now. You know, it's, it's, it's great to have influence, right? But it's, it's only great when you use that influence for the right reasons. When you use your, your, your influence, your popularity to honor God, man, it's awesome. But if your whole goal in life is to be a YouTube, Instagram, TikTok influencer, just to make yourself famous, man, I feel like you're missing something there. I feel like there's something that's, that's not adding up. You see, you don't have to be popular to, to make an impact for Jesus. You know, Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, it is for a rich man to go to heaven. I think that a modern translation might be like, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than, than an influencer to make it to heaven. And it's not bad to be an influencer. Don't get me wrong. It's not impossible. I believe Jesus can redeem and restore anybody. But if your whole purpose in life is about you, man, I want people to worship me. I want people to, 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 to think so highly of me. Man, it's gonna be really difficult to have your eyes set on Jesus. So what's it for you? What, what do you worship? Maybe it's one of these. Maybe it's something completely different. But if you haven't already, man, I challenge you to, to, to ask God to reveal that to you, to, to say, hey, God, what is it that's taking my eyes off of you? And I promise you, I've got faith that he would reveal that to you. All right, second question. What do others say you worship? Maybe for some of you, that's who do others say you worship? This one might be a little harder for you to see on your own. So I challenge you, have an honest moment, a vulnerable moment with three of your closest friends. Friends that'll shoot you straight. Friends that, that won't just tell you, hey, no, you're perfect. Everything is great. You're awesome. You're, doing, you're the most godly person I know. No, have a, have a conversation with people that, that'll tell you like it is and go, hey, based on my life, based on the way that I live, what do you think I worship? And you might hear some things you don't like, but if they're real friends, it's worth listening to. It's worth giving some, some weight to what they have to say. You know, Satan is called the deceiver 
for a reason. I know that the, one of his tactics is to convince us that everything we're doing is just fine, that we don't need to change anything. Because I believe if we're not growing, then we're dying. And so if we're not getting closer to Jesus, we're just kind of staying where we're at, yeah, I don't think we're doing everything right. But Satan will tell you, hey, hey, it's fine. You're good. You don't have to ask anybody about that. Just do things like you've been doing. You're great. And he wants you to live this life worshiping something that, that you may have never intended to worship in the first place, knowing that he's driving that wedge between you and Jesus. That's why we need real, honest, close friends to, to help us see the things that we're blinded to. I once had a friend, uh, one of my closest friends, tell me that if I was going to continue down a path with a certain girl, that he was going to have nothing to do with our future together. I was like, all right, guess we're going to do this without you. Then, like, pretty quickly after that, I was like, all right, I'm not doing this with her, so we're still friends. But I needed that. I was blind to, to what was going on in my life, not seeing that, that God and everybody else was saying, hey, this isn't good for you. And I needed somebody close enough to me to have an honest conversation and go, hey, let's think about that. And if that's really the way that you're choosing to go, man, I can't be a part of that with you. So ask a close, trusted friend. Somebody that, that you trust enough to go, Don't, no matter what they're gonna say to me, I'll listen. I'll give it some weight because a real friend's going to shoot you straight, going to be honest, and that's what you and I need. Third question, what would change in your life if you fully worshiped Jesus with every part of you? You may not know that answer right now. In fact, you, you probably don't know what that would look like, and that's okay. Like, there's no way that the Samaritan woman knew that, that her encounter with Jesus would lead to her bringing people back to Jesus. Like, like people probably looked at her and thought, you're gonna tell me about the Messiah? You think that's who you encountered? I'm not gonna trust you. I know your story. I know your past. But that's not what happened. You see, God used her shame and brought about his victory. God used what she was most embarrassed about and, 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 and shifted it and used it to bring other people to Jesus. So what could God do with your life? What would happen if you lived a life fully committed to Jesus? When I was in high school, I was a new Christian. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a junior in high school, and I was just trying to figure things out. I, uh, I always felt weird when I would like go back home to Florida and visit some of my family over there because like they knew the life I lived up until I was a junior. Like they knew me not as a Christian. And so when I'd go back and I'd like, hey, uh, you know, I'm trying to pray, um, trying to read my Bible, like it was weird, it was difficult. But I started doing little things. I started making it to where every time we sat down for a meal, we were praying. Little things like my aunt asking me, hey, can you burn me a CD? Which, that's a thing. I don't know if you guys know that. Back in the day, we used to burn CDs. Before that, I think there were these things called cassettes. I don't really know much about that, but ask the people in the back. Um, you're welcome. But my aunt asked me to, like, burn her a CD. And I was like, okay, like, I can do that. Here's some Christian songs. She wanted something to encourage her. And I had no clue what those little things might turn into. Flash forward a few years later, and my aunt calls me. She started going to church, 
and they had this big baptism weekend, and she said, Michael, I want you to fly out to Florida, and I want you to be the one to baptize me. I'm not taking any credit for, like, leading her to Jesus. Don't hear that. But I do believe that, that those little things that I just started trying to do, going, hey, hey God, I'm going to worship you with my whole life. I'm going to try to start living this life you've called me to. At some point, at least led her to go, hey, I want you to be a part of, of baptizing me. And like, that was a huge deal for me. It probably wasn't the CDs. It probably wasn't saying, hey guys, let's, let's pray. But those little seeds you start planting, man, you never know what that could turn into. What would change if we really lived our lives fully worshiping Jesus, giving him everything we got? Maybe it would be your close friend. Maybe it would be your family member that, that would see your faith and, and that they would fo- want to follow your lead. Maybe it'll be a, somebody around you, another Christian that goes, man, I see that boldness that they're walking in. I see the way that they're living out their lives. Maybe I need to do that too. Hebrews 10 24 and 25 says to to let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is drawing near. Now, what if your life that you lived encouraged those around you to live out their faith in Jesus? Maybe there'd be more stories like my aunt, more stories like those friends that you know that, that have started coming to church. That, that you might have led to Jesus. Man, let us be known for making Jesus famous, for encouraging one another to live out our lives and love people like Jesus does and to trust God to take care of the rest. Worship is this outward expression of what God is doing on the inside. So let us live that life fully worshiping God for all that he is. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories and make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.